Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Out of curiosity, who has ever been to England? In the room, that's quite a few people. So I I will tell you, I've never been to England. I would like to go to England uh, sometime. It looks interesting to me. This past week, we celebrated 245 years since our independence from Great Britain. My Facebook feed was filled with, there was a great meme of a George Washington body slamming King George III. They were all dressed up, but then it was a WWE kind of style moment, and I, I enjoyed that. Uh, you know, I think things are a lot more friendly now than they used to be. You know, when Americans think about you know British people or British culture, we might think of some musicians that we really like that are British, or we might think of certain actors that we hire to come play roles in our American-made movies. Because whenever an American hears a good British accent, we always think, "Wow, they're so polite." Well, it wasn't always a very polite relationship. There were <laughs> some bad days. The American Revolutionary War would be one of those really bad seasons where the British Empire was not being very polite. Even after they lost in the Revolutionary War, the British Empire still continued to expand for, for years and years and years. At the largest size of the British Empire, they controlled, check this out, 26% of the land on the entire globe. That's crazy. That is an island the size of Kansas controlling 26% of the entire globe. So to compare that to today, the largest world power because of, of land mass size today would be Russia, and Russia would control 11% of the land in the whole world. So that means at a certain time, the British Empire, an island the size of the state of Kansas, controlled over two Russias worth <laughs> of land, and they did not accomplish this by being polite. So the British army was fierce, they were ruthless, they dressed really well, but they were ruthless, and if you were going to say no to them, then you better be ready for a fight. Fifty years before the Revolutionary War began, there was a young British naval officer by the name of John, and John was a poster child for British imperialism. He was very driven and aggressive, and after he had gone up through the ranks within the Navy, he then left the service, and the path towards money, the path towards financial success at that time was in the slave trade. And so John started off first as a first mate and then worked to be a captain and then worked to be a owner and investor in the human trafficking of individuals from the continent of Africa to other places throughout the world. Now, this same John, years into this process, finds himself in this giant storm in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and he calls upon God. He calls upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He calls upon a Savior who he then learns is Jesus Christ. And a lot of things in John's life immediately changed. So he immediately stopped drinking, he stopped cussing, he stopped gambling. But John did not quit his job. So now John is a 
Christian slave trader. So when you hear those words put together with our contemporary mindset, it just sounds so egregious. It's so wrong. It seems like such a giant hypocrisy from our point of view to see this. It seems so obviously like these two things can't go together, but God wasn't done with John. God had a plan for John, and God wanted to see John put into action what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It wasn't about the reading the Bible. It wasn't about the church attendance or the prayers. It was about putting into action what it means to be part of the generous community of faith. When you turn in your Bibles tonight, we're going to go to the book of Philemon as we study God's Word. The book of Philemon, it's near the end of your Bible. It is part of a group of books that are known as the prison epistles. So there's a group of books that were all written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. This is one of those books. I'm going to do something in my message tonight that I've never done before, and we're going to read through one entire book of the Bible. And the good news is, is we didn't choose Psalms. So this is a very short book. I think we can all do this together, and let's start right now with the first six verses of the book of Philemon. This letter is from Paul a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister, Apphia, and to our fellow soldier, Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. We're going to pray as we get started tonight. And as we do, um, if you'll allow me, I'm going to pray this exact same prayer that Paul prayed for Philemon over you tonight as we get started. Let's do this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the people of this church. I thank you for their faith and their love for all of God's people. And I pray they will put into action the generosity that comes from their faith as they understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's talk about Philemon, not the book. Let's talk about the person. So the person Philemon was a Roman citizen who would have uh, originally met Paul in the city of Ephesus. Paul speaks with this pastoral relationship to Philemon, letting us know that Philemon was introduced to Christ through Paul. So they have this very special relationship. If you can think of the person who introduced you to Christ, I bet that you have a special relationship with that person. What we know is we know that now Philemon has moved from this city to a different city where he is a church leader. Things are going really well for Philemon. He is respected. He is a strong, mature disciple of Christ. And Paul has this very fond feeling towards him. He's very friendly. When I come home at the end of the day, I am always thankful that some percentage of my children are going to get up from what they're doing, and they're going to go, Dad, and they're going to run up to the door, and that feels really good. I really like that feeling. And I might get a hug or a kiss on the cheek, and I, I like that because I feel that friendly feeling. Now, sometimes when this happens, the feeling gets too friendly, where They see me come in, and they run over the door, and they go, Dad, you are the 
best dad in the whole world, and I love you. And then I'm getting, like, kisses on both sides of the cheek, and my alarm bells start going off. Something's wrong. <laughs> They're about to ask me for something. And when I start reading the book of Philemon, in the first few verses, Paul's really, really friendly. He's being really, really nice. He's kind of laying it on thick with Philemon, and I'm kind of curious if there's going to be a sudden left-hand turn as Paul continues talking. Let's keep reading on. Here's the next few verses, verses 7 through 9. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Wow, Paul is really laying it on thick. My alarm is going off. He's being really nice. I wonder what's coming next. Here it is. That is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. Aha! There it is. We knew it was coming. He wanted Philemon in a good mood. It was a trap. And now Paul has just a full new arsenal of ways to keep pushing on this. He says, I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. Do you hear this guy? <laughs> like, he's, he's really getting it done. If you are in, in the silver years of your life, I would highly recommend you start asking for everything you want with, with this. And start off with, I don't care what it is, if it's the last piece of cake, could I have the last piece of cake for an old man serving Jesus Christ? <laughs> like, I'd start doing it at 55. I would start off with like, I only have four or five decades left to live. <laughs> and just work it. And Paul, Paul is working it. He has, he has filled his... He is charged up with what's going to come next. What is this favor? Why are you being so nice? Why are you explaining all of this before you've told me yet what you're going to ask? What is the favor that Paul is asking? He tells us in verse 10, he says this, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. So now, who is Onesimus? Well, I first, I want to remind you of all of the positive things I told you about Philemon. I told you that he was a disciple of Paul. I told you that he was a leader in the church. But I intentionally didn't tell you something about Philemon. Philemon was also a slave owner. So Onesimus was Philemon's slave. Now, slavery during the time of Paul was a very different experience from what you would have read in your history books about uh, the American perspective on slavery or what slavery was like in the British Empire. Because in the history of America, our perspective on slavery had been a, a, a specific way to oppress a specific group of people. Now, slavery during Paul's time, there were many, many different ways that you could become a slave. So if your land had been conquered by someone else's land, you could become a slave. If you had your parents die, you could become a slave. If you were indebted to someone or if your parents were indebted to someone, you could become a slave. And so during someone's life, they actually could work themselves into slavery and out of slavery based on these different experiences. It wasn't about one race of people. There was just a bunch of diverse ways you could become a slave. And so we know that Onesimus was Philemon's slave, but we don't know exactly how that happened. We don't know 
which one of these scenarios applied to Onesimus and how he became a slave, we do know that his relationship with Philemon was not good. At the time this letter was written, Philemon is living in Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey, and Paul is writing this letter from Rome. These two cities are 1,200 miles apart. How in the world did Philemon's slave end up 1,200 miles away? We don't know what people group Onesimus came from, and we don't know how Onesimus became a slave. We do know that Onesimus' relationship with Philemon was not good. Trying to escape slavery would have been punishable by death, but it seems here that something extra unrighteous has happened. Onesimus has wronged Philemon in some way. Maybe he stole from him. Maybe it was something else. Paul understands that it would be completely within Philemon's legal rights to punish and possibly kill Onesimus. This is what Philemon's relationship is with Onesimus when Paul starts writing this letter. But Paul has a completely different relationship. Somehow, through the providence of God, Onesimus runs away from his slave owner 1,200 miles, and he ends up in the city of Rome, and he meets one of his old master's friends in a prison cell in Rome. When Paul meets Onesimus, he sees something totally different. When Paul sees him, he meets a man who is open to the good news of Jesus Christ. He sees in Onesimus' heart a good soil, and the word of God takes root in Onesimus' heart and begins to grow. And Paul looks at Onesimus now and sees not the same person that Philemon saw. He sees this young, bright disciple of Christ. And Paul is writing now to bring an evenness to these two descriptions. To Philemon, Onesimus is, is an untrustworthy slave. And to Paul, he is a bright, young disciple of Christ. Let's keep reading in verse 17 through 25. So, if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. So most of Paul's letters would have been written by an assistant. So Paul grabs the pen and the paper himself and he starts writing, I will repay it and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Yes. Do you hear this guy? Yeah, he's very, very straightforward. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask. And even more, one more thing, please prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greeting. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my co-worker, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And then that is the end of Philemon. That's the end of the letter. Congratulations, you did it. You've just made it through one entire book of the Bible. Uh, John Newton is the author of the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. And John Newton is the naval officer who grew up in this. John Newton had a period of his life where he had met Christ, was studying the Word of God, was praying, and was also a Christian slave trader. God was not done with John Newton. 
God wanted to work into him. He wanted him to put into action what it means to be a part of the generous community of faith. There's a Greek word that shows up in the prayer that we open with today. And that word is koinonia. It's a very special word, and it describes the relationship that followers of Christ have with other followers of Christ. So uh, it's, it's brotherhood, it's fellowship, it's intimacy, and it has a lot to do with sharing. If koinonia was like a meal, it would definitely be served family style. It's the idea that everyone brings what they have to the table, and once it hits the table, it now doesn't belong to anyone. It belongs to everyone. And sitting down at the table of fellowship of Christ is the koinonia of Christ. The title of my message today really is my definition of this Greek word koinonia, and today I'm calling it the generous community of faith. That everyone who can find relationship in not just Christ, but in the people of Christ, in the koinonia of Christ, can join this great, generous community of faith. This was Philemon's experience, and this was also John Newton's experience. So in the years, in the later years of his life, God opened John Newton's eyes to the atrocity of slavery and to his culpability. John was, he grew up in this. He was dropped into this life, but he wasn't innocent. Every single person bears the responsibility of their actions before God. And John saw the guilt that he had in this. John had a really good friend, and his name was William Wilberforce, and he was a politician. And those two men, John Newton and William Wilberforce, are attributed with have, making the big push to see the abolition movement in Great Britain come to pass. So uh, slavery was abolished in Great Britain in 1805, which is 60 years before it happened here in America. That change being brought by two Christian men who had it wrong and through the power of the Holy Spirit and through listening and putting into action what it means to be part of the generous community of faith, saw that great change and be able to lead a great movement. One of my favorite quotes from John Newton is this, and it comes from the later years of his life. He says, although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. John Newton says, I don't deserve to be here. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I didn't get it. I hurt so many people, and yet Christ accepted me. The least I can do is to be a carrier of the generosity of Christ. I know that many of you have known Christ for many years, but whether you've been here for decades or for weeks, I feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to just say, welcome, welcome to the generous community of faith. I hope that this place, both the microcosm of this room on Life Together on Wednesday nights, as well as this church of Oak Creek Assembly of God, as well as the big capital C church of this world, has been a welcoming place for you. I hope that you find that there has been a generous community of faith that has brought you in to share at an open table. I, I think every one of us who've been in the faith for a long time can share stories of things that were not deserved. Anyone who walks into a generous community of faith, I think that the, the first natural reaction should always be gratitude. 
because I'm walking into something that I didn't earn. There's not a person in here in the room who died on a cross for their own sins. None of us deserve to be here. And when I walk into a space that I don't deserve to be here, my reaction is gratitude. Thank you, God, that I get in. Thank you that by your son, by the sacrifice that you made, you have made a full adoption process, and I get to be a son or daughter of the holy God. That's, that's a great deal as I walk in to belong somewhere where I didn't used to belong, and I am welcomed in to sit at the free table. Now, once we're in, what happens next? So what happens next is I become the Philemon, is I become the one who's in there. I think God comes knocking on our door like Paul came knocking on Philemon's door, and he said, okay, buddy, it's time for you to welcome other people into the generous community of faith. In closing tonight, I want to look at the three things that Paul asked of Philemon. And I believe that tonight God would ask us of the same things. This grand request, it was kind of a multifaceted request when he says, hey, I, I want you to, to bring him in and I want you to make him a brother now. And, and there's, there's three things that are happening here, and I want to share this with you as we close tonight. So the first one is he asked Paul the question. He says, will you forgive? Will you forgive Onesimus? Here's this guy who has caused this, this rift between you. He is at fault. He is not innocent here. And will you forgive him? It was interesting that it was just the first step. You know, Philemon could have forgiven Onesimus, and they could have just stayed in separate cities. That could have been the end of the request, but it wasn't the end of the request for Paul, and I don't think it's the end of the request for you. I think God wants more. I think Paul wanted more. So the second thing that he asked, he says, will you reconcile? I don't want to just see you forgive. I want to see you back in relationship. I've said it this way before that forgiveness is like solitaire because you can play the game by yourself. So anyone in this room, if there's any person dead or alive who you need to forgive by the power of the Holy Spirit, right now you have the power to do that. That you can in one conversation with your Heavenly Father forgive any person who has ever wronged you and you don't even have to tell them. Now reconciliation is like a seesaw because you can't play it by yourself. Reconciliation then takes two willing parties to come back together and put a relationship back together. Paul tells to Philemon, he says, it's not enough that you're just going to forgive him. I, in the generous community of faith, I expect more. Will you forgive and will you reconcile? Will you put this relationship back together? God wants to see you as a reconciler of relationships who don't just say, well, We've had our mistakes, we've had our flaws, and we're better if we just never talk again. Uh, th this person offended me, I'm just going to drop him from the friend list, and we're never going to speak again. If we were reconciled unto Christ, then we should walk through this world being reconcilers. But even in that, Paul tells Philemon, that's not enough. That's not the end of my request. I have something else that I want to ask of you. And here's the third thing that he says. He says, will you treat others as equal? Think about this. Philemon could have forgiven Onesimus and reconciled, and he could have said, hey, 
I forgive you. Uh, I want us to be reconciled. Um, I will pay for your transport, and we're going to get you all the way back to Colossae, where you can now return into relationship with me, and you can again be my slave. Isn't that going to be great? We're reconciled back into relationship. Check the box. It's done. And Paul says, that's not enough. If you want to be part of the generous community of faith, you're going to walk into every church sanctuary, and you're going to say, I don't deserve to be here. I didn't accomplish this by my own goods. I didn't earn this. In the kingdom of God, there is no promotions. There is no 20-year pen because every one of us is here by someone else's work. And so if I have that attitude of thankfulness and gratitude, should I not be passing that on to someone else? And does that not mean that I'm going to start treating people as equal? Philemon is instructed, I want you to forgive him. I want you to reconcile with him. And then I want you to treat him as equal. When he walks in your house, I want you to pretend that I, Paul, your teacher, your authority, treat him like me. Show him respect. Make him your, and here's the big word, brother in Christ. Christ has made each one of us, what, joint heirs in the kingdom of God. You're going to get just as much as you're going to get, just as much as you're going to get, and anyone in this room and anyone who ever calls upon the name of Jesus is going to get just as much as you. Why? Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. I think God would call every one of us in this room not just to forgive, not just to reconcile, but to treat others as equal. Those are the characteristics of the generous community of faith. As we look around this room and we think about the people that God has put into your life, the people who you go to church with, the people who God has made an opportunity for you to be in relationship with, I think this is the path towards you, towards this community, towards this church, and towards for the church to be the church that God had designed. For us to be that bride that is spotless. To be that kingdom-changing, heaven-on-earth kind of people. And to be the generous community of faith that this world desperately needs. I think every one of us can think of a place where we've always felt welcome. You know, it might be a grandma's house or a Chick-fil-A. And <laughs> where where you walk in and you just know that, that you belong. And even though you don't deserve to be treated as an equal, you're going to be treated as an equal. Even though you've done some things in your past that would cause a relationship to be broken off, that that relationship is going to be reconciled. Even though you've done some things that might have needed some, some forgiveness, that forgiveness is going to be offered openly. Let's be those people. Let's be those people here in this church, let's be those people with every person that you know who's called upon the name of Jesus. That is the koinonia. That is the brotherhood of faith. That is the special relationship that every one of us can have. Let's pray together tonight. Father, I thank you so much that you're here with us. I pray, Lord, that as we've kind of combed through this book, I pray that you would bring to action things in our hearts that each one of us can be sitting sometimes and uh, we can get trapped in the Bible reading and this, the prayers and the worship services and the church attendance. And you're calling us to put into action 
what it means to be part of the generous community of faith. I pray, Lord, that you would unleash these people in this room in generosity. And, and I pray that you would unleash them with creativity and with compassion to go into their world and to show the generous grace of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us tonight. I thank you for your word. I thank that you've been so true to us. And I pray that you would continue to lead us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.